0: Right now, we're going to continue to worship by hearing from God very simply. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. And God's going to speak to us uh, today through a very dear friend of mine, almost like a, she is a big sister to me, really. She's had all kinds of time to prepare this word, and I know that it's going to be Very, very powerful. So would you please give a huge Church 214 welcome to Heidi Bolt. Thanks, Phil. I love you, too. You're like a brother to me, too. You know, side note, my little sister is marrying his little brother. So legally, we are co-sibling-in-laws. That is the legal term. So... Hey, sometimes I hear rumblings within the church um, that certain people, probably none of you, but certain people in the church think that their leaders are perfect, that they have it all together all the time, that they never struggle, that, um, you know, we just have everything all lined up all the time. And um, just in case you've ever thought that, probably not, but just in case, Here's a funny moment that happened last week that's going to remind you how human I am. So last week, my husband had said that he would keep our tiny men in the evening so that I could go to the coffee shop and study to preach. And uh, it just doesn't go well if I try to study with the busyness of three and one. And um, so I stopped by Chris and Heather's house briefly because I had heard she was making homemade cookies. And so I just kind of ran in there to grab a cookie. And one of our favorite topics in this family is preaching. There's a lot of us that preach, and we love to talk about it. And so Chris, my brother, says to me, hey, you know, um, how are your thought processes on your message? Like, how? tell me what you're thinking and where you're going with it. And so I began to share with him some of my thoughts on Blessed are the Meek. And he is a really patient guy. And he had this little look of confusion on his face for a moment, but he let me just keep talking. And I talked for a few beats before he finally said, um... Heidi, I mean, that's interesting. Aren't you scheduled to preach on Blessed Are Those That Mourn? (laughs) And I stopped eating my cookie, and there was a bit of cloudy confusion, and I said, wait, what? See, because I had already started to process in my mind and to pray through what it would look like to preach on Blessed Are The Meek. And I had literally almost gone and sat down and prepared an entire message for our friend Mike next week, who will be preaching on Blessed Are The Meek. When in fact, I'm scheduled to preach on blessed are those that mourn. And so I said, yes, good talk, Chris and Heather. I will be focusing on Matthew 5-4 today, which is God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Now, um, we're in week two of a series called Base Camp, and I'm so excited about this series because I just believe God's going to do something really profound. But we are studying the famous passage where Jesus is preaching to his disciples, and it's entitled the Sermon on the Mount, quite literally, because he preached it from a mountainside. And um, he taught the disciples the ways that their attitude should be in life. And if he had titled it for sake of podcast, I think he would have called it simply, the Beatitudes. And um, the Beatitudes, when you begin to study them, you'll see they're a little different to study than an ordinary story passage from the Bible. Each one is a saying um, that is proverb-like, which as Chris pointed out last week is interesting that it's proverb-like being we're coming right out of our proverb series. Now, We do plan things out, but we had missed that correlation in planning these series, but God had not. I just love his detail, and when he speaks to us, he is so attentive to just weave all the details together. So the Beatitudes are cryptic, yet they're very precise, and they're full of deep meaning. Now, each topic um, forms a major biblical theme, and so there's lots of things that Jesus covers in this sermon, and really, if we apply them... We are going to walk the way Jesus wanted us to walk in life. I absolutely love the Sermon on the Mount. I have to tell you, it's one of my very, very favorite things in the Bible. Outside of Jesus dying for me, it's one of my favorite things. So when I was young, um, I was homeschooled. Yes, believe it or not, there are some homeschoolers that, yep, right here in the front row, two rows back. Um, Some of us um, aren't socially awkward and weird, and we know how to talk to people. Um, Some of them are all of those things. Some of us aren't. But anyway, at um, a young age, my schooling revolved around biblical topics. And at the age of nine, I was privileged to get to memorize Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount. And I am just struck to this day by how profound it is when we memorize God's word, how it sticks with us. Because I've gone back a few times and kind of for fun looked at this passage and thought I wonder how much of this I could remember. And it is incredible because almost word for word I can remember all three chapters. And I don't say that in pride. I say that to encourage you that when you put God's word in your heart it comes back to you when you need it. Because there are many times other than when I was confused about which beatitude was second. um, There are many times when it's helpful to you that God's word is in your heart. So I would really challenge you to memorize his word. So uh, Matthew 5-4 says, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. To mourn is meaning to feel or express grief or sorrow. Or mourning is the act of sorrowing, a period of time during which signs of grief are shown. Now my first thought, and probably yours, is you begin to think of the times in your life where you've gone through grief and mourning. And at first glance, we probably think that Jesus is referencing only people who have gone through extreme grief, like the people that have lost a loved one. And I do think that he is speaking of that on the surface, but as with all of Jesus' words, I believe that there is kind of a surface meaning that is simple, but then there's some deep truth down below that's rich, and that as we seek, we find. So today, if you're taking notes, we're gonna break down the idea of mourning into two segments. The first one we're gonna talk about is mourning that's caused by physical loss, which causes grief. And then the second side, we're gonna look at mourning that's caused by the recognition of our sin, which causes repentance. Okay, so first, the mourning that is caused by physical loss. The verse says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will. comforted, And I think that's one of the most important words in this passage. His promise says that they will be comforted. You will be comforted. Now, this is one of the most special beatitudes to me, and so I'm glad I'm the one preaching on it because um, it's profoundly relevant. You see, everybody mourns and everyone grieves, whether it's the death of a loved one, a broken relationship, a lost job, a broken marriage, a lost child walking from God, whatever it looks like. Everyone mourns, and um, these are the memories that started to flood my mind as I thought of my own life and my scenes of grief and mourning. And the first thing that popped into my mind is remembering the smell of this room. And it was a stench that I was not familiar with, and my siblings and I all had to wear these masks, which brought a sense of fear to me for reasons that I could not place. And there was a man laying in a bed who I did not recognize, but he was clearly dying. And I was a young girl, and I was both meeting and saying goodbye to my paternal grandfather in one setting. He was in a medical facility, and he would die there. And I recall walking out after that meeting, and I felt a heaviness rest upon my innermost feeling. And to this day, I can still smell that memory. I can reach down, and I can feel the tender emotion that as a young child, I remember experiencing, and that night I remember laying in bed, and I wept over what I knew is something that would never be, over a man I did not know. It was my daddy's dad, and we did not have a relationship with him. And I remember thinking, that man is my Grandpa Jack. I was a little girl. And in that moment, I knew that this was mourning and this was grief. I was mourning and grieving a man I'd never know, and his death. Now, some years later, I was standing on a driveway trying to be brave, watching my best friend for life and her mama and her siblings pack up their their little minivan and drive away to a different state due to a broken marriage where they would start over and try to rebuild. And I stood there and I finally sobbed, and I knew something sacred and precious was dead. Five years later, I stood at Dairy Queen getting an ice cream cone when I received the news that one of our good friends had been killed tragically in a plane accident at the age of 20. And we had grown up across the street from this young man. We were best friends with his, he and his siblings. And the news of this just hit our family with such devastation. And we mourned deeply with his family. To this day, we remember his birthday and his date of death and just let them know that we're still thinking of them and there for them. And we try to be Jesus in skin whenever we can. Then in my late 20s, my husband and I experienced the grief that comes only with losing children. We lost two children, and I just remember there were days where I thought, I am not going to crawl out of this bed. I am not going to crawl out of this hole. I'm not going to face anyone that God's called me to lead, and I'm just going to be here, and I'm going to mourn, and I'm going to grieve, and I'm going to put everything else aside. But God was so gracious to me. My husband did tell me that in that season of grief, he said that there was a cry that came out of me that could only be described as anguish. More recently, we mourned the death of Granddad Bolt. He was an awesome man. He was hilarious. He never left you without a laugh. Um, to this day, we recall his jokes, and he, he was just awesome. Um, but he battled cancer, and he went home to Jesus three years ago. The other day, I called Nana, and I just said, Nana, you know, I'm talking on grieving and mourning, and um, I just want to know, how did you cope uh, through losing him in these last three years? And she said, through tears, she said, you know, it was, um, it was knowing I'd see him again. She said, it was the outpouring of love I received from those who also loved Granddad. And it was Jesus. It was just Jesus. And so through all of these seasons of grief and mourning, I can recall only one theme that hit all of them. And it was that Jesus gave his unexplainable comfort in my season of mourning. And in knowing him, it changed everything. So God blesses those who mourn, and they will be comforted by him. So here's the thing. Your grief and your mourning is not going to be cured, and time is not going to necessarily heal it, and you're not going to get over it. But knowing Jesus, his grace is so sufficient that it will supersede your mourning. Jesus was my comforter, and he has the ability to be your comforter if you let him into that space of your brokenness. But sometimes we can feel so sad and so distraught and so frustrated that we're left going, God, where are you? Why would you let this happen to me? Why is this so hard? And it's likely that every single one of you in this room has asked those exact questions. And you know what? That's okay. Because even Jesus asked questions of the Father, God, is this your plan? Is this your will? But he says that when we mourn, we will be comforted. And I have begun to learn through those seasons I talked to you about that when I mourned, God began to weave beauty from ashes. And what he did is he birthed within me a compassion for other people, those who were brokenhearted. Isaiah 61.1 says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. Because when we choose to sit in our mourning, we are like a prisoner that is held captive. And we cannot be used by God. We can grieve, but if we sit and stay there, we will become stale and we will not be following Jesus as closely as we could be. But I see now that Jesus used that that brokenness and those seasons of extreme grief to help me pour into other people. And so because of that, I get to see people who are broken and hurting in a new light. And so I'm thankful for those experiences. It doesn't diminish the pain, but I'm thankful. And I think some of you here this week whom have lost your daddies, whom have lost your grandmas, your grandpas, you need to know that God is weaving a story right now. And he's using your family and this is not for naught. Okay? You got this. There is a supernatural peace that is expressed through humans who love Jesus when we grieve. Uh, the other night, <laughs> we went to the pumpkin festival with our dearest friends, the Taves, and the Krabbenhoffs, and the, the Kyles, and We were having a great time, and my son, Crosley, thinks he's really super brave. He is pretty brave, Um, but he decided he'd ride the roller coaster. He hates roller coasters. I know this. But um, I was in line getting um, something to eat, and so he went ahead and got on the roller coaster, and I came up just in time to see his grinning face as the roller coaster got ready to take off, and Juliet was sitting right there by him, and suddenly, as it climbed the first little hill, I saw his hands clench the bar in front of him, and he came down the first little hill, and immediately, it is pure terror and grief. I mean, there is like weeping and gnashing of teeth happening the whole ride. This is his first experience of grief and mourning that he will talk about someday. But, but look at Juliet. Look at Juliet, this is like the perfect example of peace. Someone just bringing you peace and just loving on you. <laughs> Jules was living out being a comforter to Cros. And later he told me, he said, I hated that ride. But Jules, he kept saying, Crosy boy, it's going to be okay. Now, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is the story of Lazarus, it's in John 11. Jesus was really close friends with this man and with his sisters, Mary and Martha. And um, Jesus was away doing ministry with his disciples in a town that was outside of where they lived. And in John eleven four 4, it shows us that Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus that Lazarus was very sick and dying. This is Jesus's response. He said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it is happening for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. Now, the Bible goes on to say that although Jesus loved Lazarus dearly, he made the decision to stay two more days and to finish his ministry there. Then he tells his disciples, okay, let's round up. We're going to head back to Judea. And the disciples say this to him. They're like, Lord, are you serious? Do you not recall that just days ago, the people of Judea wanted to stone you? Now, I'm not talking stone you like smoking. I'm talking like throwing rocks to kill him. And um, they're like, "Are you sure you want to go there again?" And so, John or Jesus replies this in John eleven nine through sixteen. He says, "There are twelve hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely and they can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light." And then he said, "Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and I will wake him up." The disciples said, "Lord." If he is sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought Jesus meant Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus was dead. So he told them plainly. I love this. Sometimes Jesus just speaks plainly to us. I love this. He says, Lazarus is dead. For your sakes, I'm glad I was not there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go to and die with Jesus. Jesus. Now, in some translations, Thomas is called the doubter, Thomas the doubter. And so the first thing I notice in this passage is the human lack of faith in Jesus. Jesus has just told them exactly what he's going to do, and they doubt him. So this moment of Thomas hearing from Jesus and hearing his words very precisely interprets them in his own way and tells the people around him, We're going to all go and die with Jesus. Super brave and manly of them to be willing to die die with Jesus. But talk about a lack of faith. Talk about the God of the universe is standing in front of you in flesh telling you what's going to happen, that your faith will be increased, and you translate it in your own way. Sometimes we interpret his words so, so Incorrectly, Jesus said, I'm going to take you and increase your faith. Clearly, if they were dead, there would be no increasing of their faith. But they interpreted his words incorrectly. You guys, this speaks to me so much because I've done this. I am very familiar with God's word. I've gotten to study it so much in my life. And I have followed Jesus since I was four years old. But at times, I still doubt his word. I still misinterpret it. And it's dangerous. It is a dangerous thing to do. And I'm learning. Psalm 4610 is so crucial. It's written in my kitchen right now that I have to just be still and know that he is God. Sometimes my interpretation and my opinion does not matter. I just have to know that he's God. So, see, we know in John 11 that Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, but his family did not know this because they did not have the story yet. They could not see the full picture. And so we might be sitting here going, like, why could they not just trust Jesus in this? But they didn't have the whole story. Now, Jesus, because they were good friends, so picture your best friends in the world. You hear they're going through the worst time of their life, and you come to show up you probably would expect them to kind of put their arms around you and be like, thank you for coming. I needed you. But Jesus comes onto the scene, and Maria and Martha meet him, and it says that they said to him, where were you? Like, not this meek and mild attitude of, Jesus, you're the Son of God, you've come to bring us comfort, but where were you? Piercing accusation. It was like an unspoken, had you been here, Jesus, it would not be like this. Lazarus wouldn't have died. This wouldn't be the circumstance that we're in. I know you can relate to this. God, where were you? Why did this happen? Why me? Why did you allow this? Aren't you all powerful and all-knowing? I've done that. It was like that feeling of if you really loved him, this wouldn't have happened. But Jesus is on the scene, and he sees that they are weeping and deeply anguished and in deep trouble. And in John eleven thirty three, it says, When Jesus saw them weeping, and he saw the other people wailing with them, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. You guys, I love, love, love knowing that Jesus, my Jesus, is the God of the universe, and he is all-powerful and all-knowing. But these moments in Scripture where he shows us that he is so human and that he experiences what we experience makes him so relevant. There is a very deep purpose for why he showed us that side of himself. See, Jesus never calls us to walk in a place that he has not already walked through himself. In our deepest grief and mourning, he has been there. In your deepest temptation... He's been there. Satan drugged him to the desert and tempted him and tried to get him to throw the kingdom and to give it to him. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. And he resisted that temptation. There is no temptation you can face that Jesus cannot help you walk through. Then when Jesus wanted to give up on people, I mean, I've never done this ever, like only 14 times last week. Um, why is my team laughing? Jesus wanted to give up on people. He was going to the cross, and he said, Father, can you take this from me? But the father knew what was best, and because Jesus believed in him, he found comfort in him. So back to Lazarus in 1134, it says, Jesus says, Where have you put him? And they told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, See how much he loved him? And some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Jesus was still angry, and he arrived at the tomb. A cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Mary, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell, it's gonna be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you will see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone aside, and Jesus looked up to heaven, and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet bound in grave's clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, and Jesus told them, Unwrap him and let him go. Holy smokes, there is a lot to notice here. First of all, Jesus raised a dead man from the grave. Can we let this soak in a moment? Can we give God some praise for this for a moment? He raised a dead man from the grave. Now we know that just a little bit later, he has the power to raise himself. But this is pretty incredible. I have never seen this. I have seen a lot in ministry. I've never seen a dead man raised from the grave. If you have, come tell me about it, and I'm gonna let you preach on stage someday because it's gonna be amazing to hear your story. But this is a big deal. And I just think unbelievable that God had the power to do that, to raise a man who was dead for four days. There was scientifically no way at all he could have still been alive in that tomb because the oxygen would have been gone. And yet he raised him to life. So the second thing I pick up is in verse 39. And Jesus says, roll the stone away. And Martha, dear, dear Martha, she steps in and she corrects Jesus. She gives her opinion to Jesus. In a moment where she should have probably just shut her mouth and practiced her faith in front of him, she gives her opinion. Lord, it's going to smell so bad. And I think really probably this is coming from a source of pride because she was concerned about what the people around her would experience with the smell. Sometimes our pride gets in the way of really listening to Jesus and really obeying the voice of the Lord. See, the Holy Spirit gives us instruction, and so often we either ignore it or we try to correct it. That always sets us on the wrong path. Thirdly, I see that Jesus didn't let Martha's disbelief stop him from going ahead and working the miracle. And I love that. There are a lot of voices that are just going to believe what God is doing in your life. You just go on and get and follow the Savior and keep doing what God's called you to do, and he will come through. Finally, I see in this passage, and this is a profound takeaway for all of us, okay, This is what we're going to apply to every season of grief and mourning in our life. Are you ready? Mary and Martha, they made some mistakes earlier, but Mary and Martha, in their grieving, they sent for Jesus to bring them comfort. The Bible says there were all sorts of people that had come from other towns to surround them, to mourn with them, but they sent for Jesus. See, they knew him well enough to know that they needed him in their time of mourning. And based on Martha's reply when Jesus said, he will rise again, she responds to Jesus and she says, yes, he will rise again when everyone else rises in the last day. So the response shows me that Martha was not asking Jesus to show up and do the impossible. She was trusting Jesus and asking him to show up and do the very possible, which was simply to comfort her. And if you have ever experienced comfort from God in the midst of immense grief, you know that it is supernatural. It is supernatural. See, all too often we're right in the middle of grief, and we spend time looking at everyone around us for comfort and for provision and for the ability to step forward when we're forgetting that we've got to send for Jesus. We've got to seek Jesus every single day. So we have to seek him in our grief and in our mourning. He is the only source that can fully comfort us. Now, we're going to watch this quick um, music video. It is so profound and so just, it's incredible. And I want you to picture your seasons of grief and mourning, and I want you to picture letting Jesus come as your comforter as you watch this. I love where he said, day by day, rest in his grace day by day, rest in his grace. And I so believe that if we can do that, if we can trust God on his word, and we can trust that he's using our trials and our mourning to glorify him, then we walk in a totally different light. Now, as we close up, we've got a few more minutes, and we're going to look at the second type of mourning, and this affects all of us. And this is the mourning of our sin that causes repentance. You see, sin will eternally separate you from the love of God. Mourning here on earth sometimes separates us from the people that we love, but your sin will eternally separate you from the love of God if you choose for it to do so. You see, if we cannot humbly seek him out here on earth as first our Savior, and then our comfort and send for him, we have missed the point of this life entirely. So everyone mourns, and we see it example that even Jesus himself mourned the death of his dear friends. But we have to call for Jesus, we have to let him be our rescuer and our comforter. We as humans have to get to the point where we mourn our sin with as much intensity as we mourn the earthly things that happen to us. Because no matter what you have lost on this earth, I am not downgrading the pain. I have been there with you and walked those roads. But if we are gonna to cling to the earthly things in our mourning and we are not gonna put our eyes on Jesus, then we are not gonna walk in the truth of what he has for us and we will miss eternity. We have to be to the point where we are mourning our sin, where we are moved to repentance, and where our our repentance alters our actions. You have to mourn your sin, move to repentance, and alter your actions. There's a sin that separates us from God, and it is so great, and it is so massive. A sin that put Jesus on the cross because he loved us, because he loved you. Because he loved me. And when you begin to encounter the love of God, I want to tell you this. It is the single truest comfort that you will ever breathe in. And it will heal your spiritual and your physical and your emotional pain. The love of God and repentance is all you need to be healed of sin. And so mourning our sin is the first step to healing in our relationship with God the Father, with Jesus the Son, and with the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. If we are truly mourning our sin and we are moving into repentance, we will begin to see the face of Jesus. Now, I have sat and witnessed, and I even saw it this week, where someone begins to recognize their need for repentance where they begin to understand the brevity of the forgiveness that has been breathed over them. And it's like watching a rock from the top of a mountainside begin to roll. And as it rolls down the mountainside, it breaks off other parts of the mountain with it. And the weight of it comes crashing down, and it hits the base of the mountain where it rests and where it stays. And you see, this is exactly what Jesus wants us to do. When he died on the cross, he gave us the ability to take all of that sin that has become such a mountain in our life, that it seems so immovable, that might seem so unforgivable in your mind. And he wants it to all come crumbling down. And he wants the weight of it to sit at the foot of the cross. And here's the thing, when that mountain loses those boulders, you do not have the strength to pick it back up. You can try, but it will not work, and when you let your sin fall to the foot of the cross, you've got to leave it at the foot of the cross, and you cannot pick it back up. I am not speaking as someone who does not have authority in this area. I have walked through seasons where my sin separated me from the grace of God and where I had to take that sin and I had to let it be broken off of me and I had to humble myself in some people's eyes that I really held in great regard and I had to deal with my sin and I had to put it at the foot of the cross. And you know what? Just a few nights ago, I laid in bed and I was tempted to recall the sin that separated me from God the Father. And as I laid there... You know what I did not feel? I did not feel condemnation. I felt comfort from the Savior as he breathed that remembrance of his life and of his forgiveness. He said, you have mourned this. My grace is sufficient for you. And you know what? I woke up and I stepped into that confidence again of knowing that my sin is behind me. He is victorious. He is all-powerful. He put his arms on a cross and let them nail his feet and his hands to a cross. And a spear broke his side as blood gushed out for you and for me. And the thing is this, he would have done it if it was just me. But he chose that his grace would cover all of us if we choose for it too. And so then his power to raise himself from the dead makes him victorious over that sin. So not only does the sin die, but he uses it for his glory. And so him, both dying and conquering death, gives us the ability that no sin, no mountain of sin in our life can Jesus not redeem. That's what I want you to know today. No matter what you're going through, no mountain of your sin can Jesus not redeem. He will use everything for his glory. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. I recalled this the other night laying in bed, and Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. He is a God that is so full of grace. Recently, I heard Michael Jr., who is a famous comedian, preach. He is hilarious. If you've never heard him, I love to laugh. I know I seem kind of serious up here today, but I love to laugh. And um, he is hilarious. But he told me this, and it just shocked me. I could hardly imagine that someone growing up in America would not have known this. He was 27 years old before he ever heard that Jesus died on a cross for him. He literally had no Clue. This was literally the first time he had ever heard it. And you know how he heard it? Because he was seeking truth. And so he was reading the Bible cover to cover. And he read it. And he could not believe what he was reading that a man would die for him to make a way between him and God. And I was sitting there and I thought, how is this possible? But you know what? My greatest joy on earth is getting to tell people about the love of Jesus. I love being a mama, but you know, the greatest joy is watching someone walk from death into life and the understanding that Jesus is their entire comfort and their entire salvation. It is the most life-changing thing to watch someone go through that. And so if you're sitting here today... And you're in that place. Maybe you knew that Jesus died for you. Maybe this isn't the first time you've heard it. But I would challenge you, don't let your pride get in the way. Don't let a mountain of sin that you think separates you from God the Father stand in your way. Don't let a season of grief cripple you from walking into God's grace for your life. Because I promise you, he's going to use the story you're going through right now. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and pray with me for a moment. Lord Jesus, I pray for these two groups of people sitting here, God, the ones that are struggling with grief and with mourning. Lord Jesus, I pray that as Martha and Mary exampled, God, that they would have the the courage to send for you. Despite those who are around them, I pray that they would have the courage to say, send for Jesus, bring me Jesus. If nothing but Jesus, I will be able to walk through this. And Father, I pray for the soul that may not know you right now. I pray that their soul would have an experience with you right now that is so powerful and so life-changing that they literally cannot stop the force of that sin being broken from their life as it comes crumbling down to the foot of the cross. And I pray that you would do a work within them. God's word says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus was raised from the dead, that he's the son of God, that you'll be saved. And it's really that simple. It's really that simple. And so as you sit here, just pray. Just meet with Jesus. He will meet with you. He will come, and he will comfort you. And I want to read you the words to this song that we're going to sing as we close up today. And it's called Glorious Ruins. And it says this. When the mountains fall and the tempest roars, you are with me. When creation folds, still my soul will soar on your mercy I will walk through the fire with my head lifted high and my spirit revived in your story. And I'll look to the cross as my failure is lost in the light of your glorious grace. Let the ruins come to life in the beauty of your name. Church, I want you to get on your feet right now because anything that you think ruined you Right now, you're dropping it. You're going to let it come to life in the beauty of his name. And it's going to rise up from the ashes. God, forever you reign. And my soul will find refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will love you forever, and forever I'll sing. When the, way, when the world caves in, still my hope will cling to your promise. Where my courage ends, let my heart find strength in your presence. So church, in our grief, in our mourning... In our repentance, let us send for Jesus to comfort us. Let's sing.